Welcome to Reputation Town. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Reputation Town. This is Warren Weeks, and I'm joined by John Paranak. John, it feels like we haven't done this in a while. It's been too long. We have to, we have to do it more often. That's my, mostly my fault. Well, it's a hobby more than a calling. <laughs> <laughs> and the day job. Uh, That's exactly what I say about my, my job every day. It's more, <laughs> more a hobby than a calling. All right. We have a lot of reputational-related stories to go through and uh, we've been emailing each other a couple different topics. The first one is from the world of uh, American football. So do you want to tee this one up for us? Absolutely. So uh, this is obviously, whenever you talk, start talking about American football, in this case, college football, it, it's a whole different context than we're normally used to in Canada. But in this case, Texas A&M, they fired their coach on Sunday. And uh, the coach is still in the middle of a con. Uh, contract period. So they owe him $75 million. That's U.S. Uh, dollars. U.S. dollars, real dollars. That's like 100 million Canadian. <laughs> At least. And uh, the thing I found interesting about this, you know, they communicated all the ways you would normally see a, an organization communicate, you know, thank him for our service and, you know, just different direction and so on and so on and so on. But what I found most interesting is if we were doing that, in Canada, we would be thinking about, oh my God, what are this, all the stakeholders going to think? Are people going to talk about all the students that are not getting scholarships. And I think to me, it just goes to show why the, the, as a communicator, really understanding and unpacking what every stakeholder is going to think or say or do whenever you're coming up with announcing bad news or controversial news is so important because you can't um, just use broad brushes and that even goes, frankly, within Canada. You know, when we, when you do an announcement in Ontario, it's different than the context you think about when you do an announcement in Alberta or on the East Coast. So this one I thought was was particularly uh, striking for that, given that apparently in uh, Texas you can set seventy five million dollars on fire and it's not going to create a, uh, a, a major outrage. <laughs> so are, are you saying they handled it well, or they didn't handle it well, or or it's because of football in Texas that it doesn't really matter? I think I think they handled it well for their market. It seemed like I looked hard to try and find the outrage of them spending seventy five million dollars of the university's money. And in fact, somebody posted a video on TikTok where they showed at the halftime game immediately prior to firing a coach, the um, sort of foundation or the fundraising arm of the university presented a, a check on on the field for one hundred and sixty million dollars. And then the next day, they just like took 75 of that and paid it to this dude, or they're going to pay it to him over the course of a period of time, I would expect. Oh, my God. And and no one is outraged by that. And like, I'm not saying they necessarily like to each their own, right? They, if that's a good, if they think that's a good use of money, so, so be it. And, but from a communication standpoint, it seems like they handled it well for their market or for, for, for their stakeholders. Maybe if there are people who are upset, they haven't sort of emerged yet or been been too visible but um I, it just it, to me it just shows why um really a thoughtful strategic approach is always necessary because you can't you can't sort of take uh you know in any situation for granted 
when they gave him his 75 million, did they give him a big giant check as well on the field? <laughs> Thank you. The very the next cake, day. The cake. <laughs> I'm outraged. Like, I don't even know this guy. I don't follow college football, but like, why are they not firing the person who signed that contract? Have you seen like coaches don't have a very long shelf life, right? Think of like our beloved Maple Leafs. Like it's a revolving door of people who come in and out. And so to sign it. Yeah. And you wonder just about human human motivations and incentives. If you sign some guy to a 10-year contract for $75 million, what why you know, where's the incentive in terms of you know the carrot stick whole thing? It's just uh and it reminds me, we were talking before we hit record about Mike Babcock getting fired from the Blue Jackets. This seems like a bit of a stale story now because we haven't had a, an episode in a while. But Mike Babcock, hockey coach, Columbus Blue Jackets, worked there for a few months, didn't even get to play a game or coach a game. And he got terminated because of um, because something that was said basically on a podcast, Spitting Chicklets. And those allegations came out that he was having players come in and he was doing the kind of the preseason interviews with them. And say, hey, give me your phone there, chief. And he would get their phone, start going through their pictures, which is to anybody a pretty huge violation. And then not only is he going through them, he's streaming them on the TV in the room and just so they're like publicly available and then making kind of um, character judgments on these people. And this is a guy who, you know, I don't know this guy, but from if you can <laughs> believe what you read in the media, kind of a dick. And the the two things that really stood out to me were not, not only his uh, dismal coaching record when he was in Toronto, but... The things that he did with Jason Spezza and Mike Medano. Are you familiar with those? Uh, so yeah. Mike this Medano, real... top scorer in top American born scorer in NHL history, was one game shy of his 1500th game. And Mike Babcock sat him as a healthy scratch just to be a dick. And, you know, everything you see, Mike Medano, pretty solid guy. Then Jason Spezza, same thing, played with Ottawa all those years, comes to Toronto. Babcock's coaching there. And uh, they're opening game of the 2019 season is against Ottawa and then he sits him as a healthy scratch. So this is the kind of guy, and you were saying earlier, like your reputation kind of is attached to you. And if none of those things had happened in the past, maybe he gets through this phone thing, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. just like the guy in Texas, here's a guy who is, you know, dismal record and is just sitting on tens of millions of dollars. He's made more money, not coaching <laughs> than he has coaching. <laughs> And I'm sure he's super busted up about that. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So the um you know, fun fact, the payout to the coach in Texas was triple the largest known given to any fired coach in the United States. It's, pre it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, like I said, maybe maybe there will be a sort of a long tail on this where people will start getting outraged. But um, if I'm a donor, uh do I really like, and I'm donating to the university thinking I'm going to help a student or, you know, help, help that sports program that maybe I played in or something. And instead it's going to go fund the lavish retirement of a uh, has been coach. Not, not, not the greatest picture. And you wonder from an ROI perspective in terms of just wins and losses, I'll bet you they could go to within a three hour drive to pick up some high school coach because they're pretty hardcore in Texas. Get some high school football coach who for 50 grand, I'm sure, would be able to give them at least <laughs> the record this guy did. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know if they're getting a lot of value there. Okay. Still in the world of sports with this one, and we're going into baseball. And there is a play-by-play -play announcer named Mad Dog Russo, has his own Sirius uh, XM channel. And 
I'm sure that a lot of our American listeners would be familiar with this guy, maybe some folks in Canada as well. Anyway, one of these outrageous, you know, kind of uh, shocking characters. Anyway, when Arizona was down two games, um, right uh, leading up to the World Series, he said the following. I would not be stunned if they won tonight. I would be floored. I'll say this right now. And Bob Raisman, write it down. If they win the next two games and win this series in seven games, if they win, I will I will retire on the spot. Okay, so spoiler alert, they won the next two games, and then he just continues to show up to work, kind of like George Costanza in that one episode <laughs> where he quit, and then he just shows up the next day. He's like, what? What? You, you, you thought I quit? <laughs> and so... Um, there's this uh, this groundswell, the players on the team, there was a chant in the crowd, like people were wanting this guy to step down. So he's in his, I think he's like 64, you know, into the, obviously the back nine of his career. This is when a lot of people are thinking about retirement. Anyway, he has this, this um, he says he's going to retire, the team wins, he doesn't. And so then he, um, in his damage control mode, he goes on the Howard Stern show on the phone and Howard Stern basically tells him, look, man, you know, you... Uh, you know, people want, people want some kind of retribution. They want your head. You need to ingratiate yourself. You need to, and I think what they came up with was you need to put on like a bathing suit or a bikini or something and hold a sign and walk down the street in New York. And the guy's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm going to do that. And then after they get off the phone, he backs out of that as well. And so then I think his latest comment was like, what, what are you kidding? You thought I was going to retire. And so it's, it's a non-story. I'd never heard of this guy before, but there's so many different ways that he could have said, you know, I'll eat my hat or, you know, that would be crazy. But to say that you're going to retire on the spot and especially at that age, it sounds like a lot of people are fed up with this guy. So the, the, the point of that to me is like when you are a public figure like that, you can't say shit like that without being willing to, to step up and actually, you know, hand in your resignation. Very true. And then I think the, the sort of, the methodology that Howard Stern offered him, like a, some sort of self-deprecation yeah. to um, to ease your way back, a step back from what you promised, is is definitely like a good way of doing that. But the fact that he wouldn't even do that, well, it makes it worse, right? It's like the guy has no, no sense of humor, takes yeah. himself super seriously, and uh, it's just if you look at legacy reputation, it's just it's uh, kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth, like it. And of course, you don't want to have pictures of you looking ridiculous walking down the street, but at least the story would go away and people would say, you know what, the guy was a good sport. But uh, the way to avoid all of this is not to make uh, claims that you're not willing to uh, deliver on in the public realm. Don't don't say dumb shit. You know, or you end up with, you end up like, um, uh, you end up like uh, Ellen, mm. where you have this like slow decay afterwards, yeah. where it's like, you, know, you just sort of limp, limp until you die. That was a weird one too, because it happened during the pandemic also. And so she didn't really have an opportunity to talk to people face to face. And then when she actually did her apology and I'll call it like an apology in air quotes, cause it wasn't an actual apology. It was like a four and no. a half minute, a four and a half minute, um, characterization of an apology. And it was supposed to look and feel like one, but but ultimately, the thing that I remember the most about that is that she actually blamed the audience for her behavior. She yeah. basically said, you know, at the end of all, at the end of the day, you called me the kind lady. And do you know how hard <laughs> it is to live up to that? You know how hard it is to be kind? And so uh, obviously we know how that ended. Also, her, you know, she dropped off 50% of her audience. Now her show is gone. And now she's just like bitter Ellen sitting somewhere. Again, counting her hundreds of millions of dollars. 
I'm not sure there's a moral of the story here. All these people are like billionaires. Okay. Uh, the next one was from the world of vaccines. I'm sure that everyone's going to love to hear this next one. So I came across this picture on X, which I'm increasingly starting to be comfortable calling it X. You're going to call it that? It's, that's what its name is. I guess I should call it that or let's so call it Twitter. When you go see a baseball game in downtown Toronto, where do you go to watch it? I go to the Sky Dome. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Point taken. Point hey, taken. Anyway. So, so anyway, so uh, this was a, a tweet uh, from the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla. And I'm going to probably mis- misremember this precisely, but they posted a picture of themselves from the boardroom and they all had ma- face masks on that had printed across them. Science will win, I think is what it said. And I guess what they were referring to or what they intended to refer to was the fact that it was a three-year anniversary of the approval of the Pfizer vaccine against COVID. And I think the context of the science will win was in their mind, uh, science will win over like the virus. And of course, you know, the way public discourse has evolved in those three years, um, uh, is um, that there's a whole other narrative that exists about, you know, um, government control and, you know, public health and the way it's seen as it's it behaved during the pandemic. And, you know, uh, people have been given this great goods. And you can almost read those face masks the other way, which is like, yo, troglodytes, science will win over your backward thinking. And I think it actually contributed net negative to the situation that vaccine producers are in and just public health is in generally after the, after the, um, after the pandemic. I don't know. How, what did you take of that when you saw it? I hadn't seen it until you sent it along. And then I remember looking at it just thinking like, this probably didn't need to be, this probably didn't need to be tweeted. Um, you know, they have that expression in carpentry measure twice, cut once, I think with social media, you should uh, think twice, tweet once, or maybe think twice, don't tweet. And it was one of those, like, there's so much bad blood around this. And whether you call them, you know, um, uh, anti-vax, vaccine hesitant, that group, especially with these COVID vaccines, has become so um, large. And if you look at, like, you can't you can't deny that myocarditis is, is, is on the rise, especially among young people. Did those young people need the vaccines? You look at the amount of money that the um, pharmaceutical companies made. It was just unbelievable. And uh, it just, it looks a little um, kind of like in poor taste. Yeah. That's how, it's how I felt too. It's, it's, it's almost like too, sometimes, um, you know, what's, what's the metaphor you drink too, or you know, you're sitting in a bathwater too long or, yeah. you know, like you're just exposed so, to the same thinking too much yeah. and not thinking of like, what are other people outside your bubble thinking? And, and, um, especially with a co- global company like that, there's a lot of different audiences to be mindful of. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of felt the same thing. Now at the end of the day, is it going to matter when, few months no one's gonna no one's gonna remember but it seems to me like one of these things where it's like did you really need to do that like you said and aren't they the company that tried to have the test results blocked for like 75 years or something i think it was pfizer 
Mm, I can't recall. Like their their data from the test from the COVID vaccine, I think they wanted to have sealed, kind of like the JFK files or whatever, for like 75 years. That's not usually a good sign. Like we don't want anyone to see us until you're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another. That does, just doesn't, that doesn't sit well, you know. Um, it's And it's a little bit of gloating, right? If you have, if you yeah. have, uh, this global lockdown and then you, you know, you can't go to a movie, you can't get on an airplane, you can't go to a hotel if you don't have this vaccine. It's kind of like, it wasn't, I wouldn't say this was super popular <laughs> among well, the public. If, you, if, we, if we were still living in, remember in the first, like, I don't know, I was going to say six, maybe not even six, first four months of the pandemic when it was, Tiger everything King. was like, we're going to pull together and we're all in this fight together. Playing in our pots think, for the nurses. And yeah, yeah. I think if, if we were still living in that universe, I could totally see how that message yeah. would be perfectly aligned. Yeah. But sadly that was a short window and is, is long past. Well, I think maybe that dude is still living in that world. Like yeah, perhaps yeah. there are, yeah. you know, I'm, he's probably not the most personable, approachable guy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing it. I don't know him, but to think that a, a pharma CEO is not the most empathetic person in the world is like, uh, it's, it's a bit of a stretch. Anyway, now to the land of beer. So this is a story that started in April and we've talked about it a couple times on this podcast before, but it is the continuing downward spiral of um, Bud Light. You had sent this one over and there's a bit of a new, a new wrinkle in it. Do you want to kind of, and maybe you probably, probably a lot of people have seen this, but um, it, this is one of those ones where you get to watch over months this organization tried to save this brand in a couple different ways. And what they've done most recently is quite, uh, quite interesting. So I want you to tee it up. Okay. So people remember the backstory where they tried a, a um, very, very small targeted public relations activation with a trans uh, personality. I think her name is Dylan Mulvaney. Small right. activation is one can, one can, one can so of beer. Very small. And uh, it turned into a giant public relations backlash, and they lost like thirty percent of their market share. Billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars. They went from the number one brand to not the number one brand. So they've been trying to resuscitate their their um, their brand and their market and grow their market share back up again. So they did. Um, they effect- effectively, it's it. It reads like they just said, "How big a dump truck of money do we need?" Uh, UFC, and uh, the UFC said oh, about a hundred million would be, would do, and they backed that dump truck up and dumped the money into UFC to to be their, I guess, official partner or official official, official brand. Like if you UFC. look at the ring, Bud Light is the logo is right in the middle of the ring. Yeah, okay, so there you go. And um, but the the, the, the you know, time, I guess, time will tell whether that works or not. We'll see. Like. You, you said Warren. It's like you, you. Let's pick the thing that's completely diametrically opposite of. <laughs> this is the biggest overcorrection in branding history. <laughs> yeah, this makes like new Coke going back to classic Coke look so vanilla. Yeah, <laughs> so ordinary. Yeah, very much so. But so like, what, I don't know if it's going to work or not. It's just so. Um, it, when I first saw it, I thought it was a joke. Like UFC, hundred million dollar, <laughs> six year deal. And it's literally dudes like ripping each other's heads off. It's like the biggest overcorrection in branding history. Yeah. Will it work? Um, will it work? Who knows? Right. But the thing that struck me was that it looks like by all accounts, the brand has been like, look, it's still a bit large brand, but it's been limping along 
at much lower levels of of uh, sales since this happened. And, you know, it could be one of these things where like one misstep is, I don't want to say it's fatal because it's not going to kill the brand entirely, yeah. but it certainly knocked it off its number one pedestal and it may never regain that because of it. Um, did it, you, it, uh, in the summer when you were going to the beer store, what do you, like I'd notice, you know, the Corona pile is down to the bottom 10%, the Molson Canadian, Heineken, whatever. Bud Light was sitting there like a, like the, like a, like Borg, a perfect cube of beer cases. It was just, <laughs> no one was touching it. Yeah. And it was on crazy it, it, sale. It may never too. come back. It may never come back to where it was. <laughs> so at what point do they just blow it up and, and re just come out with a whole new beer, like Freedom Light or the most American name, Eagle something, <laughs> Ammo Lager. I don't know. That's probably the next phase, right? If this doesn't work, then you just do complete rebrand. <clears throat> and the funny thing is, if you look at the big picture, InBev, which is the company that owns it, oh yeah, boo-hoo, Bud Light's not the number one beer anymore. Modelo is. They own that too. They own all these different beer brands. So, but it's uh, it it's interesting to watch the maneuvering. Indeed. So time will tell. But I think from a communication standpoint, like sometimes, sometimes um, you think, oh, it's just. It's just public relations. What 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 does it really matter? But uh, it can really matter. Okay, so like let's let's be bold. Let's make a prediction for like a year from now. We may not need to come back and delete this, but do you think that Bud Light as a brand will be ahead of or kind of below where it is today, a year from now? I think it'll be. I think it'll be the same. I think the same or worse. Same or worse. I'm going to say I feel a bit of an outlier. I feel like it's going to go, it's not going to, uh, I don't think it's going to be back where it was, but I think it's going to achieve a little bit of a bump. And <clears throat> I don't think this is their last move. You know, Kid Rock was the guy brrr, machine gunning all yeah. the beer. I think that was the thing that really kind of, that was the first thing I saw about the story. It was Kid Rock. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him teed up next, like trying just getting all these folks lined up. Um, ultimately this is a story about forgetting who your audience is and, yeah. or just trying to just being a little bit too greedy or the whole, you know, go woke, go broke, that kind of thing. So, um, I, I think that a year from now they'll be better than they were, they are today, but they, I don't think they'll be obviously where they were, which was, and they took that for granted, that top spot. Oh, okay. We'll see. Let's see where we'll come back. Although I think you're right about Kid Rock and he's probably cheaper than UFC. You could probably like. <laughs> There's probably some money that fell off the dump truck. You could, <clears throat> do you know? You can just scoop over to him. I'm not a fan, but do you know Kid Rock has a like a, a scale replica of the White House on his property? Seriously? Yeah, you got to Google it. <laughs> it's like an actual exact replica of the White House on his property. That's insane. I will Google that. Man. So, okay, we go from beer to a little, a little stronger going into the, the world of psychedelics now. And this is the story about the, the, the airline. Um, I guess he's a pilot, but he wasn't, he was off duty, but he's the guy who tried to crash the plane. So what yeah, so, tee so this one up? people who follow airplanes may know that in the cockpit, there's a pilot, co-pilot, and then there's like this jump seat, this extra third seat that is often used by other pilots of that airline who aren't actually on active flight duty that day flying the plane, but maybe they're, you know, repositioning to another airport or sometimes they just hitch rides 
to get places. It's kind of a courtesy or perk that is offered to other pilots and or employees. And in this case, this pilot who is not flying the plane tried to shut off the engines of the plane in mid-flight. And um, the pilot and co-pilot stopped him from doing that and declared an emergency and, and uh, landed the plane after this dude was like out of the cockpit. They got him out and I don't know, they restrained him or something. But it came out afterwards that this guy who tried to shut off the uh, the engines of the plane, he's been charged now with like 30 or sorry, 80 uh, counts of attempted murder and some pretty serious stuff. And it was it came out that he was uh, had been taking psychedelics like mushrooms for um, to deal with depression, I think. And like, obviously, I don't. Well, I shouldn't say this, obviously. I don't know this for a fact, but I do not believe that in the United States, psychedelics are like a prescribed medication necessarily for... I think they uh, call them Schedule 1. It's pretty serious. Yeah. So you can't like go to your doctor and say, I need a prescription for, for this, and they'll, they'll treat it. I think it's like a self-prescription kind of situation almost. But at any rate, um, from a communications perspective, it struck me as like, this is an example of like another case where like we've gone through this phase where cannabis has been legalized and sort of entered the mainstream and we've adapted and that sort of thing. But this is a very like leading edge of it. Like in a whole category of psychedelics that are uh, attempting to get some regulatory um, uh, approval for the whole category and then for individual products thereafter, because, you know, there is actually a, real research that shows that some of these things could be useful, but it's a ways down the road to prove to, to really demonstrate that as an effective treatment for different things. And from an industry standpoint, this is like the worst thing possible, right? Um, you have someone who's using one of these products, setting up a situation where it's going to make it so much harder to get that regulatory permission to, um, to create a, or legalize space for these types of products. So, um, mm. You know, like an example of oftentimes you're in, a, in situations where you're dealing with associations or coalitions, and you're only as strong as the weakest link. And this was a unfortunately super weak link. Thank, thank goodness no one was injured, and you know it ended fine. But um, from a communication standpoint for that industry, this is not a welcome event. Ended fine. Maybe he was uh, someone from the cannabis lobby, and he was just trying to make sure that they got a stranglehold <laughs> on there. But can you imagine being on that plane and the dude's like trying to shut it off? <clears throat> and apparently he took, so he took these mushrooms like two days before. So they weren't yeah. in his system anymore. So it was, uh, I think they're going to try to plead some kind of insanity. But like, can you imagine? The guy's name was Joseph Emerson. Can you imagine you're on a plane going to like Denver or something? Like, oh, we have uh, Douglas or Joseph Emerson is with us today. One of our great <laughs> pilots. Like, shit, get me off the plane. <laughs> Well, I noticed that when this first happened, they were very careful about not mentioning the airline that that guy was a pilot with. But like, I thought to myself, well, that's not going to stay for stay the case forever. If I'm that airline, I'm doing some serious scrambling to which was it? Do you know? for, it was Alaska Airlines. Uh, see, I just would have guessed United, just based on just based on history, bad customer service, breaking guitars, beating up doctors. I thought this would be on brand. Sorry, United. Um, this one was not on you. Okay, <clears throat> we got a couple more, and we're going now to Mr. Beast. So I'm sure everyone is familiar with who this guy is, Jimmy Donaldson. Um, I think I didn't know his name until I read oh. the story you sent me. 
I'd never seen his name before. That's Jimmy, funny. do you know where he came up with the name Mr. Beast? Because it's a weird name. No, I don't know. It was his uh, video game handle, like on his Xbox or his PlayStation oh, or whatever. Oh, and so sense. he started his channel when he was a kid, and he just, that's what, what his name was. And it was actually, I think, if I remember this correctly, you know when you go to get a name, it just gives you a list of a bunch of different random names. It was a random generated name he just picked. So that's where <laughs> that came from. Funny. So <clears throat> there were two stories, and I'm sure everyone knows who he is. I don't, I don't need to tell you. He's like the most subscribed to YouTuber in the world. And... There are two stories that were um, what came up on my radar that I thought I'd, I'd bring up, and they're kind of interrelated, and they both have reputational elements and, and PR stuff. The first one is related to uh, Mr. Beast Burger. So this is something that he came up with a number of years ago where, and you see a lot more of this virtual dining, and someone told me this like last month, <clears throat> that there are a lot of restaurants that you will frequent that have two or three kind of shadow restaurants running out of their kitchen. So when you go and order something on Uber Eats or whatever, the place that you're ordering it from might be in the back of another restaurant. And so um, it's kind of sketchy. Ghost kitchens. And yeah, it's kind of sketchy. Is that what they call them? Yeah, ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens. Yeah. So like from a quality control standpoint, it's a, a bit of an issue. So anyway, Mr. Beast, because he's so popular, launches this thing. And when it first came out, they're selling out all over the place. It was kind of a test. And they rolled it out to all these different restaurants, making many, many, many millions of dollars. And um, now he's actually suing the company at the center of this. What's the name of it? Virtual Dining Concepts. And uh, just to let you know how with it this company is in terms of branding, their last tweet or post that they sent out was on August 2nd. So they're not super uh, on top of it. But anyway... The claim is that the quality of the food is so inconsistent that some people are getting, and people are putting hundreds of pictures of, like, they open up this box, and it's just a bunch of ingredients smushed around, cheese on one side, and it doesn't even look like food. And in some cases, people were getting literal raw meat delivered to them. And so uh, Jimmy, Mr. Beast, is saying that this is having a huge impact on his reputation and on his brand, and so he's actually going to court to try to sever the relationship so they can stop using his name. And so it's um, a couple of possible lessons here, uh, one of which is when you get this big and you have this many things cooking, <laughs> pun unintended, <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to manage the quality of all that. And ultimately, you're the person at the middle of it. Um, have you ever had a Mr. Beast burger? I haven't. I haven't. But the, the whole sort of virtual uh, restaurant chain always intrigued me. Like from a business concept, obviously has its shortcomings as we're seeing. So do you, when you read the story, knowing everything you know about him, and I'm sure you watch his videos with your kids and stuff. Yeah. Do you think his brand has taken a hit because of this? You know what? For the, from the, like the people who follow him, I probably would be shocked if it makes a major ding in his, in his reputation. Um, he posts a video and after a couple hours, it's got like 50 million views. Like, yeah. The, the, the amount of traffic he gets is insane. But I, I think more than anything, like this isn't a comms thing, but I think it's more of a business thing. It's like the idea of having, like basically selling a recipe and charging people a license fee for using a recipe, which is in effect using his, just trading on his brand. Yeah. Um, is great from a, a profit margin standpoint because I have to invest nothing in a kitchen or... Mm you know, bricks and mortar, all that sort of stuff. And I'm just getting like, I'm just getting a, a stream of revenue. But as this is pointing out, your ability to 
to actually control how your brand is 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 uh, is mm. manifested is is non-existent, right? So you end up with somebody selling burgers that aren't cooked, and yeah. you know, not really giving a shit about it, you know the way the way it comes across. So, it, like on paper, it sounds great, but in practice, it's obviously showing showing issues. So, is it going to affect him majorly? Probably not. I don't know. What do you think? The way I see it, the fact that he's suing them is is I think that's him kind of salvaging that part of his reputation. And right. here's a guy who's a master, probably one of the best creators or, you know, content creators in the world. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that this company hasn't tweeted since August 2nd. I bring that up for a reason, because in the in the battle for hearts and minds, as you're trying to communicate through this, like this guy can do this, you know, in the moment. And this company, Virtual Dining Concepts, is uh, really seems like they're on their back feet. Like, I didn't know who this company was until I read this article. And this lawsuit is him saying, I'm distancing myself legally and reputationally from these burgers. So um, I guess in the future, they'll probably have to change the name to something else or they might not exist. But uh, I think it would be worse for his reputation if he did nothing and the quality just continued to suck. Then uh, you would think that he doesn't take it very seriously. But apparently this has been going on for a couple of years. People have been complaining about the quality. So it's taken him a while. Interesting. And. The other story is related to some of his uh, charity work that he does. So again, hundreds of millions of views on a lot of these videos. And, you know, sometimes he's having people do these ridiculous contests. You know, the the first one who leaves this circle, you know, or the last person to leave this circle, this big red circle on the ground wins like a half a million dollars. or He's giving away houses, really ambitious stuff, you know, crunching cars and big machines. And, um, one that he did a couple months ago was he cured a bunch of people, uh, their cataracts. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see that one. So he took all these people who were suffering and they couldn't afford to have this cataract surgery. And he basically gave them their sight back and all these people started jumping on him and attacking him for this. And so Mm -hmm. he sent out a video, I think it was last week where he basically went out and constructed 100 wells across Africa. And these wells are going to end up providing about half a million people with clean water. And I think he said when he put the video out, because this has been a bit of a trend, he'll do this really nice thing. And then people, some people think it's amazing. And some people are like just really jumping on and attacking him. And so he said, I know I'm probably gonna get canceled for this, but anyway, I don't really care about it. We went across Africa and dug a hundred wells and he goes into the videos and it's really kind of cool. So, um, you said you saw that and something about it kind of rubbed you the wrong way. Well, my first reaction was it's kind of like taking advantage of a situation to like boost his personal brand. But at the same time, he's actually doing a good thing. He's delivering, you know, uh, water to communities that are underserved and don't have water. And for whatever reason, the government there in those countries wasn't able to deliver it to them. So all in all, I guess, um, like, it's not like he's exploiting child labor or something. Like, he's he's actually doing a good thing. He's His, his trade-off is he's, he's sort of... Um, using this philanthropy as a way to burnish his own reputation. But isn't that what all philanthropists do? I'm not talking myself as I say it. I'm kind of talking myself into a position where it's like, this is the same thing as everyone else does who donates like a hundred million dollars to a hospital or, you know, to the food bank or whatever the case may be. I think it's a little different. And I think, I think it's a little better because if you look at the people who stick their name on a hospital, so you make 50, 100, 200 million dollars, you put your name in a hospital, you get a big tax break, you have this legacy up there, that's great. 
With this one, I don't know how many people know this about this guy, but he lives an extremely modest lifestyle. I think he drives like a 10-year-old Honda Civic or something like that, lives in a very modest house. This guy has, his videos generate hundreds of millions of dollars and he literally puts every dollar back into production. Hmm. So he has hundreds of employees. They have sites all over the place, big warehouses and stages and equipment. And he's got many of them working at the same time. Did you see the one he did of squid game? Like the, the reconstruction of that's it's unbelievable. So unbelievable the, the production required unbelievable. to do that is insane. Crazy. Un, just unbelievable that he could do that. And he has vowed to die with zero dollars in his bank account. So it's it's interesting. Like he's not doing this for personal gain. He's not doing this for uh, to pad his bank account. Where you take a guy like Kevin O'Leary, <laughs> not to pick on, he just wants the one that comes to mind. Oh, yeah. He made fifteen million dollars for tweeting something about crypto or or whatever. And so here you have a guy who's like curing blindness, giving shoes to kids who don't have them, digging wells so people can have water. And, and yeah, I know who he is and I might have some feelings positive or negative about that, but it's not like he's using this for personal financial gain. I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive, but, um, you know, but for this, if I live in that village and I've had to walk nine miles to get water every day, or one of my kids has, and they can't go to school because of that. And now because of this guy, this YouTube person who does this can profoundly change people's lives. Like, I don't know. I doesn't seem, I'm not going to be jumping on the, uh, the let, let's bash Mr. Beast bandwagon. I think uh, like wh- why are the government officials not doing this? Why are there, there are agencies with with executives making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year who can't seem to figure this out? Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. You know, it is. It is um, I will say that. Um, I guess. Especially as given the work we do, you have to become skeptical of people and what their motivations are. But in this, uh, I didn't realize all that stuff about him. So very, very interesting to know about him. If there was a Canadian Mr. Beast, I'm wondering, because it makes me think of the, um, and uh, this is a story that, again, doesn't get a lot of coverage, but the, you know, the First Nations um, boil water orders, there are so many of them around the country. And I always think back to, um, if you remember when the Tragically Hip did their their farewell tour, and the yeah. last show they had in Kingston, and, you know, Justin Trudeau was sitting there with his jean jacket, and Gord Downey was looking at him. It's like, Hey man, you better fix this shit. And he's crying and they're hugging. And I, and like he has, Justin Trudeau has failed the first nations people. I don't want to make this like a political statement, but wouldn't it be great if some Canadian Mr. Beast type figure could go and start providing water to these communities as well? Oh my, that would be incredible. And you're right. Like it, there is, there is no rational reason why something as simple as, as, um digging a clean well or if perhaps some communities can't have like clean well water for whatever reason fi- like finding a solution to having clean water is, is take takes forever and never happens like it just it just blows your mind why that can't be sorted out well it's money and the lack of political will and a lack of votes i guess but that's yeah, I suppose so. Good. I suppose so. What a happy note to end on. Uh, anything else you, you want to include before we uh, wrap up this long overdue episode? Um, you know what? It, I think um, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, it turn to politics too heavily, but I think you know what's actually really fascinating is you know in Ontario here we've got a government that's sort of going through like a very um, 
very scandal plagued <laughs> several months. And, uh, you know, we talked, we talked about, about apologies in the past oh, yeah. and, um, and how, how, like, do people actually buy apologies? And then, and in this case, I think we're going to find out whether in due course, whether apology, like how, how effective can apologies be in the world of politics? I know in, in sort of the corporate world that there's different standards often, but, um, uh, interestingly, even in the face of a pretty intense scandal, um, the political leadership here in Ontario has apologized and seems to be like basically maintaining the same amount of support. Yeah. Uh, it's really fascinating. It just really just shows you that um, you can't ever take for granted what people are thinking. But is that is that the quality of the apology or is that the lack of a decent option? It's probably like a combination of both, right? It, like, yeah, I don't think you can look at any one thing in isolation and say, ah, that's the reason why. Like if there was someone um, compelling from another party, I think people would be a lot more interested. But like I can't even yeah. tell you who the leader, liberal leader is right now. There isn't. Well, but so there's, a, there's an interim one. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Before we go, I, I want to, we haven't chatted in so long. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts about uh, Pierre Polyev eating the apple, talking to the, did you see oh. that? What? Okay. And just, you know, what do you mean by that? What do we talk about? Well, give me an example. And he's just chomping on this apple. What did you think of that? Uh, it depends on who the audience is. If I was a, <laughs> um, if I'm a conservative voter, I'm probably loving it. Because I think I think the throwaway question from reporters, like some people are saying, and you know, oh, some groups are arguing that, and then they, they throw you know sort of a, a a concept out for the person to respond to, and the reporter isn't prepared to like for any kind of pushback. Like, well, who's saying that? You know, can you give me an example? Um, there's a part of the conservative conservative voter base that just loves that. Yeah. See, see the pushback against mainstream media. He's selling merch. He's selling t-shirts. Yeah, How do you like exactly. some apples? If you're if you're a more average person who doesn't follow politics very closely, and you know you see that, um, I'll be honest. I don't know how they're going to react to it. I it um, seems to me it's the kind of thing that's really like red meat for the base. But outside that, um, it's kind of just it just like noise. I don't know if it actually will res resonate with people at all. Do you know who the guy was? Like the reporter? My someone told me it's some like local reporter guy who was asking him questions. You know, I didn't recognize who it was, and I can't recall now. It's um to me, it was it was one of those ones where, and I try to be as apolitical as possible. But I'm watching this, and I found it. Like, for, I kind of laughed. I'm like, oh my god, this is like ridiculous. The, how did this happen? How did they pick this guy? And then the apple and they're not even looking at him and the little squiggly lines on his forehead. I just like, you could have been watching that interview with no sound, like on the treadmill at the gym and like that guy looks a little arrogant, you know? And so it's, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I agree. If you're, if you're from the base, you're thinking that's great and you're high five and everybody. But I thought, um, I felt like it was a little bit classless to attack this like local journalist in that mm -hmm. way. And, uh, but I can see it through both both sides. I would just love to have um, someone like one of us, someone who does media training, does like asks tough questions. Like, uh, let me interview here. Grab a grab an apple. We'll have a chat for a couple of minutes. <laughs> I think that'd be fun just to do a little bit of sparring because 
you see so many of these guys, you know, you don't, or you get one question or you have to stand beside the velvet yeah. rope or, and so picking and choosing their, their opportunities. And this is one of the reasons I don't work with politicians anymore because I hate this shit. But uh, I found that one really, and it really, it made, it made international news. It was all, oh, it? oh yeah, Fox News sending it out and Tucker Carlson was oh, tweeting it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Of course, they would love that it's because crazy. it's sticking into the mainstream media. Anyway. Anyway. All right. Anything else? Nope. It's a good chat. We need to get the next one in the books soon. Sounds good. All right. We'll leave it there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have a story you'd like us to cover, uh, a celebrity you'd like us to break down, an apology that you want us to dissect, or if you have someone you'd like to see on the show, uh, send us a tweet, send us a note, send us a post, I guess. We're not calling them tweets anymore. But uh, thank you once again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.